All right, are you going to help me today or am I by myself? That's better. That's better. That nine o'clock crowd is like, I just think, am I up here? What's going on? I do a little motivational speaking once in a while to business crowds. Son, it's like throwing hot dogs to starving pit bulls. I mean, you, you just say hi. They go crazy. Help me this morning. All righty. We're going to talk about your marriage today, your family, your friendships, our nation. We're going to talk about the power of unity. We're talking about unity today. This is a word from heaven that'll help your home and help you personally. See if God doesn't speak through his word this morning in this stuff. All right, I want you to notice something in Scripture before we read. Unity has something behind it, and there's a great blessing on it. And this is that great Scripture, Psalm 133, where it talks about the power of unity. And I want you to see, everybody, I think everybody would agree we should walk together, but we don't understand the blessing on it. Psalm 133 says this, How good, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You've got to agree with that. Isn't it good to go in a home where they love each other and they're careful how they talk to each other and they encourage each other and build each other up? Isn't that better than being in a home where everybody's criticizing and mad at each other? How pleasant and blessed when people have learned to walk together and get along in unity. It is. Everybody knew that. Now here's what we don't know. Verse two, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, the priest, running down the edge of his garments. There's an illustration. Here's another illustration. Verse three, it is like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. There the Lord commands the blessing. Great life forever. There's what we don't know. All right, here's the picture. Verse two talks about Aaron. All right, it's talking about anointing a priest. Before you could become a priest, you had to go through a ceremony and be what they called it, anointed. All right, they put your robes on you. They said these words over you and then they had to anoint you. They take an ephah of oil, which is a gallon and a half. They pour it on the top of your head. That oil just slowly runs all the way down. It runs down your garments all the way down. Then it drips off the edge of your robe. And the Bible said, when brethren dwell together in unity, what is oil always a picture of in the Bible? Holy Spirit of God. When people choose to walk together in unity, God does something there. Just like Aaron was anointed, God pours something out on unity. Of course, the second illustration, like the dew will come down on the mountains, God comes down on unity and does something there. Here's what we don't know. If me and my wife will choose to walk in unity, God will do something in that relationship. If me and my children and my family if we choose to walk in unity toward each other, God will do something there. If a church will choose to get off of it and walk in unity, God will visit that church and like oil coming down, he'll be there. If a nation would choose to walk in unity, he would come down on that nation and bless it like he did 200 years ago in this one. This is what, we do know unity is important. We don't know the power that rests on it. And dear ones, this is what he's looking for. He'll do his part if we'll do our part. All right, the greatest visitation of God in the earth happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ walked on the earth. He showed us the beauty of God. And then he said this, I'm leaving. And they were so sad. He said, and he said one of the craziest things I've ever heard. He said, it's better off for me to leave and the Holy Spirit come than for me to stand here and walk beside you. I struggle with that. 
I thought if I could just have walked with the man, if I could just have put my hand on him, if I could just have followed him around and watched him do stuff. He said, you know what's better than that? Having my spirit with you is better than me standing beside you. I struggled with that, still do. But he said, I'm going to send my spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'm coming back. And he left the earth. He died, crucified, rose from the dead, ascended. A few days later, the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God came back to the earth. And he said, this is better. He's still in the earth today. He's in every person who believes. First Corinthians six, did you not know that your body is the very temple dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit? He's here. But, and everybody that great, we all point back to Acts chapter two. That's where the Spirit of God entered the earth and began to do wonderful things. Everybody points back to that chapter. I've only heard one preacher in my lifetime that got it. Everybody misses the main point. Turn with me to Acts chapter two, see if you can see it. Acts chapter two is where what God promised he would do happened the first time and should still be happening in the earth today. Acts chapter two. All right, Acts chapter two, 120 people love Jesus. They followed him. He's been gone for 50 days now, back to heaven. Acts chapter two, they're together and they're praying. I want you to watch what, it, what happens. Verse two, suddenly, Acts 2, 2, a sound from heaven like a rushing wind filled the house. Verse four, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence comes. His presence just came on those people and it was wonderful. And uh, let me tell you what happened right there. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Let's read it. Chapter two, verse uh, 16. This is what was promised by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the latter days, says God. I will pour out my spirit on everybody. My presence will visit the earth. Everybody can experience God. And all right, now stay with me here. This is where we get in trouble because you say Acts 2 and people put their hackles up. I think there's one of them Pentecostals that struts and babbles. When I get to heaven, I'm suing religion for false advertising. When the Holy Spirit comes into my life, into my home, into my church, into this land, what's it going to look like? Don't follow Pentecostals. You've got to say Pentecostals. Don't follow church folks. Read the Bible. What should it look like when the Spirit of God comes into a home? or a place. Read Acts chapter two, verse 42 with me. Here's, here's after he left, here's what it looked like. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles teaching, New Testament, fellowship, broke bread together, prayed together. Verse 44, all who believed were together, they had everything in common, sold their stuff, met people's needs. Verse 46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, ate their food with gladness, humility, praising God, getting along with everybody. And people were begging to get in that community. That's the only place in the Bible where you can find the most, the clearest picture of what happens to a group of people when the Holy Spirit visits them. What do you see there? They lived the Bible. They praised God. They loved each other. If your child got sick and needed an operation, I'll go sell my house and pay for it. They loved each other that much. They, had, they were glad. There was a joy about them. There, there was a simplicity. They were humble the way they treated each other. The Bible said people begged to get into that community. You have to drag people to church today. 
when the Holy Spirit was there, people were begging. To, and this was a community. It wasn't to meet you on Sunday. Did you see the words day to day there? They were in each other's houses all the time. They had a community there where they loved each other. I'd love to live in something like that. You show me a place where people walk together in unity, love each other. They'll sacrifice everything they got to help you. They're glad. Just show me anywhere people are glad I'm moving there. This is the greatest community on earth. How did it get that way? Remember, the, the Bible, the next chapter calls them ignorant, uneducated people. Nobody taught them what happened. God's presence came. The Spirit of God came and He built this great community. This is what it looks like when God shows up in a house. This is what it looks like when God shows up amongst a group of people. But you know what everybody misses in this passage? Holy Ghost came. I don't see him twerking anywhere in there. Dear ones, everybody misses the main point of the passage. What's the only thing they had to do in there? It's in verse one. Everybody overlooks it. Verse one, the day of Pentecost had come. They were all with one accord. And one, what's the only thing they had to do? Let's get in one accord with each other and let's watch what God does. Would Psalm 133 say, how blessed when brethren choose to walk in unity, God will visit that. And that's what it's going to look like when he's done. You want your house to be blessed by God and look like this. Do what they did. You want your marriage to look like this. Do what the Bible says to do. God says this. If you'll just get in unity with each other, I'll visit your marriage. You don't have to have... I'm not knocking counseling. Dear ones, why are we replacing the Holy Spirit of Almighty God with counseling? I'm not knocking counseling. We have counselors here. We need Jesus. We need the presence of God. And he built the most, this is the most beautiful human community in world history. Guess who built it? The one who built the earth. He did it when they got in unity. All righty. Let me tell you what else we've missed. It's, it's, it's hidden in the Bible. It's in plain sight in the Bible. What's the secret to world healing? Everybody's talking about how we need to heal this nation now. Heal our homes. I'm telling you, this world's in a mess. Do I need to convince you? We've never been more divided. We've never hated each other's guts more. It's, I fear we're on the, I heard a, a prophet, and I believe he's accurate. I heard him years ago say the nation is headed toward a second civil war. I didn't think much of it then. I'm starting to believe he's telling the truth. The world is headed toward a civil war. And how can we heal the nation? How can we, the Bible talks about the leaves of God's trees are for the healing of the nations. How can we heal? We can't even get our churches to walk together. How do we heal the nations? Everybody is missing how we do it. Listen to me. Politicians, clues. Both sides. Experts are clues. God Almighty has got one answer. And it's hidden in plain sight right in the Bible. Turn with me to John 17. Let me show you the healing of everything. John 17 is the most hidden passage in the Bible. You know what this is? This is the last thing Jesus said on the earth. It's a prayer he prayed right before he was arrested and murdered. Matter of fact, in John 18 is where he was arrested. Within the first few verses, the soldiers show up. Arrested, killing. The last thing he did on this earth was to pray in John 17. Have you ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father which art in heaven. That is not the Lord's Prayer. Nowhere in the Bible does it call it the Lord's Prayer. We started calling it that a few years ago, I guess. It can't be the Lord's Prayer. Is there a line in there that says, forgive us our sins? 
Do you really think Jesus needs to get his sins forgiven? I thought he was the sinless son of God. That's not his prayer. That's your prayer. He gave us this prayer. Said you pray this. John 17 is the Lord's prayer. This is the great prayer in the Bible he prayed. He prayed it for you. And I'm going to show you where he prayed for you in here. Prayed it for me. And he prayed for one thing primarily. And a couple things he asked for. He prayed that our heavenly father would protect us from the evil one. He can do it. He prayed that he would mature us and perfect us through his word. He can do it. But there's one thing he prayed for primarily in this prayer. Let's read it. Let's cut to verse 20. The whole thing's a great prayer. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. Who's that? His disciples that were standing there with him in the garden at the moment. I said, I'm not just praying for my disciples, but for all, also for all who will believe in me through their word. How'd you get saved? Let me tell you, I got saved. I read in a Bible, a book, John 3, 16 said, God so loved the world. I read that and I got saved. Was John standing there? John wrote that word. John was right there. He said, I'm praying for everybody to get saved through their word. John wrote a book. I read it. I got saved. Same way you got saved. He's praying for everybody right here. What's his prayer? Verse 21, that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you. He said, my prayer for this earth and people, my people, he's praying for my people now. He's not praying for the devil's people. For my people is that they might have the unity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoy. I may think the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit walk in unity. What's his prayer? That they might be one the way you and me are one. This is his final prayer. This is his great prayer. I may think Jesus can get his prayers answered. Hadn't been answered yet. Let me tell you what we need. We need to be like the little girl who believed in miracles. We need to quit being smart alecks and start believing what God says. That they might be one as we are. Now watch this. Let's read verse 21 again. That they may be one as we are. You and I, I and you, that they may be one in us. That the world might know that you sent me. Is this world following Jesus? Why not? According to that verse. Because his church is divided. His people walking in unity is the secret to healing, the healing of the nations. He goes on a little further with this. Verse 22, still praying. The glory, the spirit of God that you gave me, I'm giving them that they may be one just as we are one. Dear ones, the Holy Spirit of God can break human hearts and soften human hearts so that people can get along. Well, the great passages about the Holy Spirit's in Psalm. 27, and it said, the voice of God is powerful. It breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Well, God's not interested in crashing trees. The Holy Spirit of God can speak. And I've seen hard, defiant, I hate your guts, hearts, melt like wax before a flame and be changed. The Spirit of God can change human hearts. He alone can. Are we doing a very good job by hollering at each other? Spirit of God can change. That's why he said, I'm giving them my spirit so they can be one. Verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one and the world will know you sent me and have loved them. Why does this world not know that Jesus cares about them? What does he say? When the church becomes one. What is the secret to the healing of the world? People choosing to walk in unity. People, what, remember with Psalm 133? How blessed. When brethren choose to walk in unity, I will pour something out on that. Just as I anointed Aaron, I'll pour the Spirit of God out where two people or a group of people will walk in unity and lives will be changed. This is the, 
This is the power. The secret to all healing is not smart. It's not knowing. It's humility. It's being willing to walk in unity with the people that you're in relationship with. All right. Now, this is, I've shown you the great secret of the ages this morning in God's word. Number three, guess who else knows this? I may believe there's another God in this earth tearing it up. I may believe that the evil and the garbage we're seeing in this planet has got, is more than Democrat, Republican. How many of you will take God at his word and believe that you wrestle not with people, flesh and blood, but with principalities and the powers of darkness? There are dark powers tearing this earth up. Satan knows this book. He knows the truth of God. And if Satan knows the truth of God, that the one thing God is going to bless, listen to me, it is not a tug of war between almighty God and the unholy evil one. Satan trembles at the mention of Jehovah's name. It's not, it's not close. Oh, greater is he. Well, how come the greater one is not doing his thing in the earth? Satan knows if they walk in unity, my kingdom is over. He'll bless them. He'll heal their land. All right, if he knows that, tell me the one thing he's going after. He's going... <laughs> Ken Helzer told me something not long ago. I love Ken. He said, do you remember? He said, I'll never forget. 30 years ago, we're meeting with some preachers. We're praying. I'll never forget what you said. And you said, if I were the devil, I wouldn't attack their doctrine. I'd let them fight over it. I'd go after their unity. He said, I've never forgotten that. It's true. What does Satan go after in your marriage? What's he go after in your home? What's he going after in this land? I want you to look at that, that great passage. Turn back just a few pages to John chapter 10. This is that great picture where Jesus said, let me show you how much I care about you. You know, John 10 is the picture of the shepherd, the sheep. It's where he's painting a picture to teach us about life. John 10 is, a great, is, a, is the whole picture of life, but it's in parable form, picture form. Look what he said in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Are we talking about fat little furry things with four legs? What are we talking about here? People. Jesus says, what a, what a good shepherd is to sheep, I am to you. I'll take, he said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, I would sacrifice my life for you. And he talks about people, shepherd and sheep. Verse 10 is the great verse where he says this. There is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Your hope, your dreams, your marriage, your land. Then he goes on to say this, but I came that you could have life and have more abundant life. He said, I came to make life great and to give eternal life. I'm the shepherd who would do that. I'd lay down my life for you to have a great life and an eternal life. He promises that verse 27 is where he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I'll give my life for them. I give them eternal life and nobody can get them out of my hand. He talks about how great he is, but there's another player in this picture in verse 12. Read verse 12 with me where it says this, a hireling, He's not the shepherd. He doesn't care about the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. Time out. Why is this thing called a wolf in the middle of a story about sheep? What do you know about wolves and sheep? Good, bad. You got it, bad. Uh, guess who the wolf is? Come on, guess. So it's okay talking here. It's North Carolina. Wolf is Satan. Satan has a number of names through the Bible. Abaddon, uh, Destroyer, 
Apollyon, a devil. He's called a serpent. He's called a dragon. This is the only place in the Bible he's called a wolf. Why is he called wolf here? Again, wolf sheep, not good. Learn one of the greatest things you'll ever learn in this verse. Let's read it. Verse 12. A hireling, he's not the shepherd. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep alone. He runs. The wolf catches the sheep and does what to them? Scatters them. Scatters them. What is the wolf trying to do to the sheep? Scatter them. It's the word scorp. Get this. It's the word Greek word scorpizio. Scorpizio, better translated to divide. He divides them. What is Satan's primary effort in your life? Divide. To divide. We, we get another English word from that word scorpizio. Take a wild guess. Scorpion. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, talking about our authority over the powers of darkness. He said, I give you the authority to walk on serpents and scorpions. All right, this tells us right here, the enemy knows what God would do if I would just walk with my wife in unity. So what's he going to try to do? Catch us and divide us. He's all about division. All right, let's just hold this whole nine, nine yards. Let me teach you something about division. All right, if verse 10 says this, he came to destroy your home, your future. How does he do it? He always works, he always starts by dividing. People against each other, races, lands, nations, churches. Um, let me teach you something about division or disunity. We don't think, we think unity would be nice. Unity wouldn't be nice. It's the whole nine yards. Division is not bad. It is the ultimate game changer. The year was uh, 1858. A politician who decided he wanted to run for office. He had no education, none. He'd read, read, he'd read a lot on his own. Had no education, would run for office. He'd lost six elections in a row. I think after six drubbings, I would give up. But he wouldn't give up. 1858, before 1858, he's running for a Senate, an open seat on the Senate. He's running against a guy and he loses. But he gave a speech. Actually, it was a debate with this guy. His name was, the man's name was Douglas that won the seat. He gave it in a debate. He gave a speech and he said one line in that speech. It captured the nation's attention. The national media got it. And that one line he said in that speech put him in the White House two years later. Many people call it the greatest speech in political history in this nation. And that man was running. Here's what he said, talking about our nation, debating this man who won, won the election. And he said this, and what he said, it wasn't original. He got it from Jesus Christ. In Matthew 12, 25, he said this, a house divided cannot stand. Of course, his name was Abraham Lincoln. He was running for Senate. He lost the election. But the media grabbed hold of that phrase, a house divided cannot stand and that put him in the White House in 1860. Of course, he led our nation through the uncivil war years. And uh, many people said that's the greatest political speech ever given. It is the greatest truth ever spoken. It wasn't original with Abraham Lincoln. Jesus Christ said it. Matthew 12, 25, when he said this, see, here, here's how we interpret it. It is hard for a house divided to make it. That's how we say it. That's not what Jesus said. He said a house divided cannot stand. If I were the enemy of humanity and I knew the truth that a house divided cannot stand, guess what I'd try to do to your house? Guess what I'd do to your nation? All right, let's go a little further on this stuff here. Division. 
How does division start? Everything in God's, everything in the earth starts in seed form. You can't make a million dollars till you make the first dollar. You can't, all, all the food you eat starts as a seed. A grown man started as a seed in his mama's womb. Everything, start, everything has a beginning point. Where does all division start? What is the seed of division that has destroyed my nation, tearing our families up? Where does it start? I need to find out where it starts. Once turn, then let's look at where the seed of all division starts in Revelation chapter 12. It starts with all difficulty starts with one thing. A man called me on, if a man called me on the phone, he said, look, I was in a bar tonight. I don't know who you are, but I've said my, my mama makes me watch you on TV. I heard these three guys and they're going to break into your house tonight. They said they're going to hit it about midnight. They didn't know I heard it, but I, I like you because I watch you on TV. My mama likes you, so I thought I'd call and tell you. All right, if I know where the thief's coming and when he's coming, what would you think I'd do? The three of us would be sitting there waiting. Me and Smith and Wesson would be sitting there waiting. Dear ones, if God Almighty says to you, right there's the window he's coming through, maybe think we ought to watch that window. Guess what the book of Revelation does? It gives you a revelation into where he's coming from, where the enemy's coming from. Here's where all division starts. The seed is in. Now, Revelation 12 is that great chapter where he shows us from eternity beginning to eternity end and all of world history. But look what it says in verse 10, one verse. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, salvation, strength, the kingdom of God, the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. Where does all division start at? It starts as an accusation. Where does it start at? In your head. It starts in your head. The enemy of your soul has the ability to put thoughts in your mind. That's what Ephesians 6 means when it says, put on the helmet. Of, tell me what a helmet does. Protects your head. Put on the helmet of salvation. It will protect you from all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Do you really think he's shooting arrows at you? Thoughts. Accusing thoughts that get into the mind of a person is where everything evil starts with. A woman gets this thought in her mind. He don't appreciate me. He don't understand me. He don't care. Then people don't know what we've been through. They don't know what it's like. These accusatory thoughts that come from the accuser of the brethren uh, is he on duty eight hours a day who accuses them before God day and night. Accusatory thoughts get into our heads. That's where it always starts. There's a prophet. I've, listen, most prophecy has got egg on its face after the last couple of years and it deserves it. But let me tell you something. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some people who hear the voice of God and prophets are still in existence today. There's a prophet I've been following for about 40 years now and uh, he said, the, I keep having the same vision from God over and over. Here's the vision he keeps having. I've been hearing this for 30 years. He said, I see an army marching and this army's marching and vultures, black vultures keep landing on the shoulders of the warriors. And these vultures throw up on the soldiers' heads. And when they throw up on the soldiers' heads, 
the soldiers pull out their swords and start stabbing their fellow soldiers. Bingo. The accuser of the brethren puts thoughts in people's minds and then they turn against their own people because they accuse them day and night. Dear ones, those thoughts that come into your mind, are you sure they're all yours? If they're thoughts of accusation, criticism, they're from hell. Jesus don't talk to people like that. You say, well, I thought that was me thinking. Listen to this. You know what this book says? A good tree does not bear bad fruit. I got the spirit of the living God. I've got a brand new heart inside of here. Those are not even my thoughts. I don't accuse people. The enemy of our souls has got in the heads and he's putting that in the heads. Let me tell you something. Demon spirits are playing racquetball with the brains of the people in this nation right now. They're controlling the flow of thought into this nation right now. Matter of fact, if we were to continue in Revelation 12, you would see that in the latter days, Satan has come down furious knowing he hath but a few days left. So he's poured water out of his mouth like a flood to cause the nation to be carried away. Guess what his primary mouthpiece is in this nation right now? Media. Media is the mouthpiece that is accusing us and causing us to hate one another right now. Not that we're not doing a pretty good job on our own. So we divide into camps and we throw grenades at one another back and forth over our walls. All right, if all accusation begins in the head, where does it go next? So I got it. Have you ever heard this? The more I thought about it, the matter I got. I couldn't go to sleep last night for thinking about it. You know what you're doing? You were meditating. You were moving that accusation from a thought in your head to your heart and it was filling your heart. And anger, bitterness grows. It goes from the head into the heart and it grows right there. Where does it go after it gets in the heart? What did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then we say things in our marriage. We say things to our children. We say things about our friends. We say things about people. We accuse people. We're angry with people. And there was this what Mark chapter 11 said. Listen to what he said. If it comes out your mouth, you're going to eat it. The power of life and death is not in the pistol. Jesus said the power of life and death is in the tongue. And the way that your enemy will destroy your home is to plant critical thoughts about people in your mind. You'll chew on it, then you'll say something and we burn the whole house down. That is the pattern of how we destroy a nation. Or destroy, that's how we're destroying our churches. Well, a great prophet years ago, I want to listen to what he said. He said in dealing with this stuff, let me tell you, let me tell you stop this. He, this great prophet said, nip it in the bud. Barney, the prophet, said, nip it in the bud. We have got to learn to nip it in the bud. Is that in the Bible? First Timothy 5, 19 says this, do not receive an accusation. Don't take it. The moment, listen, I've learned, I've learned. I, once in a while, I'll tell the enemy in my soul, I'll give you this. You don't give up, Bubba. Why would I expect him to give up since he accuses the brethren before God day and night? Why would I expect him to give up? But you know what I got to write? Just tell him now, this ain't my first rodeo, doc. Get the hell out of here. Go back to where you came from. I love that woman. Start this mess with me. I'll go hear it. I love the people I go to church with. 
I'm not listening to it. That's what it means. Do not receive an accusation. (laughs) Sort of like Amazon. I just started telling them, don't bring me no more over here. No more. Then you don't have to take delivery on accusing thoughts. Let me tell you something about my Savior. He don't talk like that to you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love never believes an evil about another person. Verse 8 says, excuse me, verse 7 says this, love always sees the best. What are we doing in this land right now? Uh, Let me pick somebody. My favorite. Would you say that Simon was jacked up? I don't even know what jacked up even means. Would you say he was a goofed up mess? I'm talking about after he was discipled. I've been criticized for being ugly to the apostles. He didn't know he was. After three years of discipleship training, he still cussed like a sailor, whipped out his pocket knife and tried to cut a guy's ear off because he said something ugly. That's jacked up. What do you think he was like before Jesus started working on him? His brother brings him to Jesus. What's the first thing came out of Christ's mouth when Simon walked up to him? He looked at him and said, you've been called Simon. You are a rock. God don't see the worst in people. He sees the best in people before he ever starts with them. He sees the best in you. Why do you receive those accusing thoughts against yourself? Where's that garbage come from? I wouldn't talk about a dog the way some of you let the devil talk about you in front of the mirror. You're the redeemed of God. You're chosen. You're dear to him. Any thought that comes to your mind that's less than what he says in this book is straight from hell. Do not receive an accusation, not even against yourself. We have got to learn. uh, I came up with this phrase. I use this phrase. You can borrow it. Feel free. I I came up with this phrase. Taking every thought captive and casting down every imagination that comes that's not lining up with God's word. What's about thought? Take every thought captive. If it don't line up with that truth, I'm not having it. Don't criticize my church to me. I'm not going to hear it. Don't even criticize Democrats to me. Till tomorrow. (laughs) Feel sorry for those of us that ain't on either side. All of you hate us. This accusation is destroying the nation. We need to nip it in the bud. Don't receive an accusation. Can I ask you a question? Would, if a demon spirit walked up to you and started talking ugly about your wife or your husband or somebody, would you say, oh, let's get a cup of coffee and sit down. I want to hear more. <laughs> would you do that? Why do you do it? Listen to what this book said. This is one of the wildest verses in the Bible. You're, going to even, you're not going to think it's in there. I'm going to show you. You know what he said? Quit having coffee with demon spirits and letting them talk ugly to people about you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When you get to look, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You say, I ain't never done that in my life. You'd be surprised. Let me tell you what else he says in here. You can't have coffee with Jesus and coffee with a demon because they're not going to be sitting at the same table with each other. You say, yeah, that's not in the Bible. I'm fixing to show it to you. If I'm lying, I'm dying. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. Well, let's read verse 20. The things that the lost people, 1 Corinthians 10, 20, 
sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. What did God just say? Who's he, who's he talking to? This is written to the church. Then once he said, look, you know what he said? Don't go eat dinner with demons. Don't invite demons to your coffee. What's fellowship mean? Sit down, let's talk some. Let's, let's hear this. He said, I don't want my people to have fellowship with demons. How many of you know if you have fellowship with demons, there'll be a bad influence on you? Can I get a witness? Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't have coffee with Jesus, coffee with a demon. Because if you have coffee with a demon, some demon comes along and says, and people are so stupid. You say, oh, get you some coffee. Let's talk about it. What do you think it means right there? Why don't you have coffee with Jesus? Why don't you drink a cup with the Lord or drink the cup of the Lord? Let him talk to you about people. Let him tell you how to look at people. Let him tell you, talk. ask Jesus to talk to you about your husband. Ask Jesus to talk to you about your wife. Is this happening in this nation right now? You want proof that the devil's in the minds of people? Go ask the average 13 year old what to think about their parents. Who they've been listening to. Spirit of God don't talk about parents like that. He says, honor your parents. It goes on to say that, let's read verse 21 again. You can't have coffee with the Lord and coffee with the devil. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Get up from the table of demons. You must say it in a way you can understand. Turn the news off. Troubleshoot your computer. I've got one. It's on my shop uh, counter right there. We did a little commercial here. It's been years ago. And I troubleshot my computer. I had this thing. I put the cameras up there and I'm sitting on this computer and it wasn't doing right. So I called tech support, which was in Turkey or Botswana or somewhere. <laughs> couldn't understand what they're saying. And I couldn't understand what he was saying. He said, I heard him say the word troubleshoot. That's all I heard. I said, amen. I'm having trouble with this computer. So I pulled my pistol out of the desk and I shot it. Bam, 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 bam. Of course, we'd reinforce the desk so bullets wouldn't bounce out of the room there. I just shot the screen all up and it's still sitting on my counter to this day. That's what it means to troubleshoot your computer. If your computer's giving you trouble, shoot the sucker. That's what the Bible means when it says, do not drink the cup of demons. Don't listen to stuff that doesn't line up with God's truth about your marriage, your kids, your friends, anybody in this nation. I, I just, I don't understand that coffee with demon stuff. We need to stop it. All right, let me, let me quit by saying this. The Bible teaches me what y'all are striving to do with all your study and programs and dialogue and all this mess. Walk in unity and I'll do it for you. Get in unity, I'll do it. Unity is where the Lord commands the blessing. Just like he poured the oil out on air and he will pour his spirit out on your family if you'll choose to walk in unity. All right, if unity is the secret to blessing, what is the secret to unity in a relationship? I hope you've had fun so far. Fun's fixing to come to an end right now. All right, before I tell you what the Bible says the secret to unity is, let me tell you what our nation's saying the key to unity is. We got politicians, pundits, experts. You know what an expert is, don't you? Nobody knows. We got all these experts saying, here's how we can heal this nation. Let me tell you what everybody's saying in a word. You know what everybody's saying today? The secret to unity is 
You've got to start seeing things my way. That's what everybody's saying today. We, we can heal the nation if you'll see it my way. If you'll, if you'll listen to me, everybody's talking today. Everybody's screaming. And let, you know, let me tell you how dumb we are. Can I just use the word dumb? Even if, even if you did want to help me, screaming at me hatefully does not cause me to say, oh, I am an idiot. Thank you. Thank you. I, I wished you'd have told me last week. The way you say it has as much effect as what you say. God is my witness. A deacon. A deacon. I used to wonder why Wake Forest called them demon deacons. I'm starting to figure it out. A deacon said to me with his 14-year-old son standing there, said, I've been telling him he's an idiot. He won't listen to me. Would you talk to him? The boy don't need talking to. I said, oh yeah, let me tell him he's an idiot. See if that works. Listen to God Almighty in the book of wisdom. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. So when you tell me you are an idiot, you better listen to me. I'm not going to dig in my heels. You just dug them in. We didn't have enough sense. Not only do we not know what to say, we don't even know how to say it in this land. You cannot keep speaking hatefully to each other and expect to find healing. The only hope you have is to outshout me and take the football home. That's exactly what we're doing in this land and in marriages. All right, if the key to the great life is unity, what does the Bible say that the key to unity is? It's the cross. It's the cross. It's not Jesus on the cross. He did that. It's me on the cross. It's me on the cross. If I want to have a great marriage, I've got to get up on that cross. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about the cross being the first step to everything good. This is Mark 8, 34. If you want to follow me, if you want what I'm offering, let a man get on the internet. Let a man deny himself. Embrace the cross. Follow me. All right, men. I hear men whining because their marriage ain't going right. You want a great marriage? Die. Not physically. Embrace the cross. Deny yourself. See if it don't heal your marriage. When you deny yourself, you can have a great relationships. Somebody just get on the cross. Let me, let me put it in another way. That might not have sounded right. You must value unity and the blessing it brings above you being right and having your way. You can have your way you can have a great home, but you are never going to see both of those together. So what you want? You want to be right? Or do you want a great home? You got to give some, everything has its price tag, Bubba. And if you want a great relationship with friends, where you work, your marriage, this nation, you got to give up being right. You got to die to self to save a life. Only death can save life. I'm going to show you the greatest picture in the Bible of what it means to die and give up what you want to keep something alive, keep your children alive. I think it's the greatest picture in the Bible. And then, it, and then I want you to apply it to your life personally. Let's look at it. It's in 1 Kings chapter 3. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 
the Samuels are in front of Kings, behind Kings, you'll see the Chronicles. Between those two are 1 Kings chapter three. You talk about a young man in a tough place. Who's the greatest king that ever lived in world history period? King David. Not just biblical history, world history. Greatest leader that ever lived. No man has ever been loved by his people like King David. All right, as every man does, he got old. He died. It came time for him to be replaced. To show you a wonderful, beautiful picture of how God can bring good out of evil. Do you remember David made a mistake along the way in his 40s? He stole another man's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. They had a baby. That baby died. They had another baby. That baby's name was Solomon. Solomon grew up. Solomon replaced his father on the throne and was a great king for a while, which is a picture of God saying, even if you make terrible mistakes, if you'll repent, I'll bring healing. Our God is a redeemer. All right, let me tell you where we're at right here. He, he gets caught. How would you like to follow the greatest king that ever lived? And he's your daddy. And they put you on the throne of the most powerful nation on the earth. And you're just a young man. He prayed one of the greatest prayers ever prayed in world history at his inauguration. I want you to listen to a simple prayer. Oh God, I am a child. I don't know how to lead this people. Give me a hearing heart so I can hear you and know how to lead this people. And the next verse says this, God was very pleased with that prayer. When I find a prayer in the Bible God's pleased with, I memorize it and I pray it. When I became a father, I said, I do not know what I'm doing. Give me a hearing heart to know how to do this. Pat, whatever, whatever your responsibilities are. All right, they, they, they inaugurate him. The first day on the job, his first uh, official act as a king is in 1 Kings chapter three. This is his first day. What's the first thing he had to do as a young man? It's in verse 16, 1 Kings three sixteen. This is a wild story. Two women who were hookers, harlots, came to the king and stood in front of him. One woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I, gave, I had a baby. I gave birth. Then it happened three days later. She had a baby. Nobody lives now except us. Verse 19. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So this lady had her baby in the bed. She rose over and smothers him. Uh, verse 19, 20. She arose in the middle of the night, took my son from my side while I slept, put her baby there and laid her, took her bed and put her dead child beside me. Got it? This woman gets up in the night. Her baby has suffocated. She goes in the next room, takes the living baby, puts her dead baby there and goes back in there and lays down with the living baby. She's going to do this baby swap thing. Verse 21, I rose in the morning to nurse my son. He was dead. I examined him. I said, this is not my son. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one's your son. This they spoke before the king. All right, first day on the job, first thing you face. Two women standing here. One living baby. Both of them saying they're theirs. How many of you know this is emotional? Does anybody here know anything about how mamas are with their babies? This is no Perry Mason mess. This is emotional. They're screaming. And this poor boy, first day on the job, has got to decide which one of these women get this baby. No DNA testing. You see why I prayed for wisdom? I want you to watch the wisdom of God in action. You need this. Verse 23, the king said, uh, the one says, this is my son. The other says, is their son. Verse 24, the king said, bring me a sword. They brought him a sword. 
the king said, I'll divide the living child in two and you can each have half. Relax. He's not going to cut this baby. He brings that sword. He said, the only thing I know to tell y'all is both of you claim it's yours. The only fair thing I know to do is I'll just cut it in half. Each of them can have half. He's not going to cut the baby. This is wisdom. Which, what else can you do? No matter, this is lose. This is not win, lose. This is lose, lose. So I'll cut the baby in half and give it to one of you. Watch what happens. The Bible said this. <clears throat> Verse 26, when he said that, then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king. She yearned with compassion for her son. She said, oh my Lord, give her the living child. By no means kill him. Got it? He said that, this woman on the left, she screams, no, no, I lied. It's hers. Give her the baby. It's hers. I don't want her child to die. I lied. I'm so sorry. Put me in jail. Do whatever you want to. I lied. And uh, give her the baby. You want to see wisdom? The king said, no, you're the mother. Because the mother is the one who will give up what she wants to keep it alive. Arrest her. She lied to me. What do we learn right here? You have got to be give, willing to give up what you want to keep it alive. You want your kids to do well? Quit telling them to live like you think they ought to live. Quit wanting them to grow up and duplicate you. If you want a great marriage, quit demanding your way. Give it up, your marriage will live. You want a great church? Quit telling everybody how you think it ought to be. What is this thing today that if I can't have what I want, I'll burn it to the ground. We're destroying our homes. People don't get their way in a church, so they will raise hell on the internet and burn the church up and then march out. Well, whose spirit is that? That's not Jesus. We've got to get the, embrace the cross means die to self so the thing can live. Let me, let me give you a picture of what's going on in our nation and in our land. Before we built this campus, my office was at the other campus. And my office was right at the very end of a wing, right, bes right there beside the first parking lot. And uh, I'd work late a lot. I'd be over there on a Friday evening, sitting in that office. And I'd hear a ruckus out in the parking lot. Over, this happened so many times. I'd go over and just open the door and look out to see what's going on. And there'd be two cars sitting in the parking lot. And there'd be a man and a woman. Sometimes the windows were down. Sometimes they were standing outside. They'd be cursing and swearing at each other and saying the hatefulest things and screaming at each other. A child would get out, a child would get out of the back of that car, little suitcase, walk around the back, get in the other car, while a man and woman would stand there and scream at each other. At one time they stood in an altar and swore better or worse. How did we go from here to here? What happened in our homes, in our churches, where he said that they might be one? What happened in this nation where great men signed a document and said, we will give up our treasures, we'll give up our wealth, we'll give up our lands, we'll give up our lives to see this nation make it. What has happened in this land? The selfishness of I will rule is going to take this nation down the toilet. Homes too. You want to live? Get up on that cross, big boy. Die to self and enjoy what God can do in your home, in your marriage, in your friendships. 
And when that side of you rises up, it says, I ain't putting up with this no more. You tell him to shut the H up and lay back down, buddy. You were crucified with Christ. We're not going to have that here. The only way to quit being ugly to your neighbor, start being ugly to yourself. Amen. All righty. My way or I'll tear it up. I ain't going to work no more. I want to listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are the bridge burners. They're real smart. God have mercy. We got enough bridge burners in this land. Jesus said, blessed are the bridge builders. What do you think he meant when he said, blessed are the peacemakers? It's not peacekeepers. Anybody can keep a peace that's already there. Anybody can guard a bridge that's already been built. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed is the man who can walk back into the bedroom and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who can walk into his child room and say, Daddy was wrong. I'm sorry. Blessed is the person who can stand up in a church and say, I am sorry. I was wrong. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who can go back and bridge, build what they burned yesterday. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons of God. If the bridge builders are the sons of God, who are the bridge burners the sons of? Help me, Jesus. All right, one more. Let me tell you about a relationship that was absolutely destroyed, but healed by the cross. A man willing to take up the cross. You ever seen the beauty of this earth, all the beauty that's out there? God created that. He's my dad. He created me. My mother's womb was his workshop. He created me. He didn't create me to work for him. He got an angel blow me away. He created me to be his son. He created me to walk with him, eat with him, enjoy him. He created me to have a relationship with him. But somewhere way back yonder, please don't hold this against me. I got it in my head that I was smarter than he was. I know it sounds dumb and I'm not the only one that did it. I was smarter than he was and I destroyed the relationship because I had to have, not cocaine, my way. And I blew the relationship up. He had, let me make an announcement, no 50-50 mess here. He was 100% right. I was 100% wrong. He could easily have said to hell with him, which is where I'd gone if he'd looked the other way, if he'd give me what I was asking for. He could have said, fine, that's the way you want it, son. We don't have to be in a relationship. But guess who embraced the cross so that we could be in relationship again? Because our relationship was more important to him than being right. He was right, but he wanted more than right. He wanted a relationship with me. He was right without the cross but he couldn't have the relationship without the cross. So he embraced the cross, died to self so that we could be father and son again. And we reconnected through his cross. And we've been doing fine ever since. And I'm planning on staying in this relationship because I'm thoroughly enjoying. If I ain't nothing else, I am my father's boy. I love him. We have a grand time together, but we're not friends today because 
I worked it out. We're friends today because he who was right was willing to lay it down so we could have a relationship. He loves you that much. Don't worry about him being right. He's the only one right in the universe. That's a settled issue. You're not smarter than he is in case you was wondering. It's not about right. It's about how bad do you want a relationship? He wants a relationship with you so bad he would embrace the cross. Do you want one that bad in your home? In your marriage? With your fr- How'd you like to have a friend? The Bible says this, he who would have a friend must get off of it. Or close. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you so much. It, it's not about who gets to carry home the football. It's not about who's right. Where do we get this? Well, I just ask you where we get it from. I just showed them where we get it from. I want to praise you and thank you more than anything else that being a father to me was more important to you than being right. Now you're right all the time. I'm wrong. I'm not the one who had to embrace the cross so we could have a relationship. The one who was right was willing to lay it down so we could have a relationship. I praise you and thank you for the simple truth. Blessed is the man that the blessing of God rests on unity. If you would just die to self, get in unity, I'll put the blessing there. Everything everybody in this room is looking for is found in Acts chapter 2 in the latter part. A community where people love each other, sacrifice for each other. There's gladness because nobody's cussing anybody. There's sacrifice. There's worship. The Word of God is being lived. People are begging to get in that community because they see the way we treat each other. Thank you for the beauty of what you'll do if we were, and the only thing they had to do was when they were in one accord. All right, Jesus. I want to pray for every family in this room. Families are being picked apart by snipers these days. Pray for every family in this room that something would happen in the hearts of men and women where they would say, this marriage is more important to me than me having my way. This family is more important to me than me getting what I want all the time. And that somebody in this room would embrace the cross. I trust you for that. Pray for our church. I hear that we want the best there is when it comes to getting along. I want it better. I want people that this is not, we don't do Sundays here. Your word said day to day. I trust you for that. I give you all the praise and glory and honor. And Father, I pray most of all for people in this room who are, they're those that were smarter than you. They, oh, bring them, I don't know what to say. Bring them back into relationship with you through the cross. I trust you for that. I give you all the praise and glory for your goodness. Strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.